we look in the scripture today in 1 Chronicles, probably most of us are not as familiar with this story or with this line or with this thought or with the scenario with David. But David was just an ordinary man like you or me, and he had slain Goliath, and amazing things had happened. He had become king of Israel, and as he was going, and as he continued to battle factions and factions of the Philistines, he wanted to make sure he had an upper hand. It seems like a noble thought, a noble thing. You want to make sure before you go into battle that you've got enough stamina, that you've got enough troops, that you've got enough to make sure that you have victory. You see, David's victory was not about his troops. David's victories were not about his fortitude. David's victories were not a matter of the number of his army. David's victories were not a result of the wonderful technology of the day. David's victories were a result of the Almighty God acting in human history in David's life and bringing victory. And I would submit to you this morning as we begin that your battles and my battles in life, if we are going to have victory over them, it will never be about what we bring to the enemy or to the battlefront. It will always bring about who goes before us. The God, the creator of this expansive universe who created the sun and moon and stars and suspended them in space is a God who created you for purpose, a God who loves you, a God who gave his only begotten son for you that you might have life, that you might have joy, and that you might have an experience that you cannot even ask or imagine. The sin of David in this scenario is the fact that David wanted to make sure that David was good, but David was unwilling to trust in the goodness of God. And so what happens is David tells the head of his army, he says, I want you to go out and I want you to count the number of men that we have. And so the man goes out and he counts and he leaves some of those numbers out because he was aggravated that David was not necessarily trusting the Lord. And then we pick up in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 14, and it says, and this is after they went out and did the census, and there were only two reasons of doing a census. One would be to levy taxes, and the other would be to count how many are in your army. And so we get to verse 14, and the Lord says this. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel. And 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. Now, I, want, I, want, I want you to imagine this, okay? Your king, who has led you into battle, who has led your people into battle, who has been victorious because the Lord had gone before him. Your king has decided to count them in, and you don't know of it, but you do know that the Lord is coming, and his wrath burns, and he sends a plague and 70,000 men in an instant drop dead. I want you to imagine the calamity that would ensue in that kingdom when 70,000 people drop dead. 70,000 people didn't get sick. 70,000 people didn't have to deal with the plague of frogs or something else. 70,000 people lost their lives all because their king their king decided to trust in his own strength rather than trusting in God's. How often do you and I trust in our own strength 
rather than trusting in the Lord's strength. The Lord who's created this universe, the Lord who has delivered you from the bondage of sin, the Lord who has saved you and given you opportunity and showered you with grace and blessing, this God who goes before us deserves our worship, he deserves our praise, he deserves our ability and our willingness to use the gifts and talents that he has bestowed upon us to bring glory to him. David was a dynamic leader. But he was only a dynamic leader to the extent that he followed the Lord. You and I can be great people, but we will never be the leaders that we need to be unless we are following the Lordship of Christ. And what happens in this scenario in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 if you look in verse 16, after the Lord had sent a plague on Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead, and God sent an angel to destroy the holy city of Jerusalem, but as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it and relented concerning the disaster and said the angel was destroying enough withdrawal. And then in verse 16, David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand extended over Jerusalem, then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell face down. I want you to imagine this imagery. 70,000 people have just died. And there's an angel of the Lord who's holding a sword. See, it doesn't matter to me whether it would be an angel of the Lord. If it's a guy holding a sword, it's going to get my attention. And not only is the guy holding a sword, but this angel of the Lord who's holding the sword is the petition, is the doorway between earth, that is David's experience, and heaven, which is the blessing and the place that David and his ancestors and the people of Israel want to exist in. And I want you to notice David's response. David falls face down. And that leads me to say this, that in this moment in First Chronicles, we have a worship experience. Worship takes place in the midst of David's crisis. Worship takes place in the midst of the tumultuous loss of life as 70,000 men meet their maker. Worship is always our response to God's movement. In verse 16, God killed 70,000 people. He relented against it. He stopped the calamity. But 70,000 people died as a result of the sin of David. And David's response is a worshipful response. He falls down. The only thing David can do is fall down before the Lord in humility and in repentance. Great things happen when God's people fall down before him. I don't know if you've ever had a scenario or a situation in your life where you have exhausted all of your means and all of your strength and all of your potential to move a mountain or to move a people or to move a person or whatever it might be, whatever obstacle that you've been faced with and you've exhausted every single bit of your mental faculties and everything else to have something done. That's exactly what David had done. David had exhausted everything he could exhaust. And he's faced the reality with an angel that stands between him and heaven. And his only response is he falls down before the angel of the Lord. He falls down before the Lord. Worship 
is our response to God's movement. And if you've never been in a situation where you have had to surrender yourself, you need to, and it's going to happen. And the result is this, ladies and gentlemen. It is when you and I get to the end of our rope that we recognize that the Almighty God has so much more to do with us. It is when we have reached our very end of existence, when we are, are, are dangling between doubt and despair, when we have given up on faith, when we've given up on our own ability. It is in that moment that you and I are left with a choice and we can continue to do what we've always done and nothing will ever change or we can choose to fall down before God and repent for the things that we've said, repent for the things that we've done, and see if God, who is great in mercy, whose loving kindness is steadfast, to see if His grace might be showered in our situation, in our lives, in our walk, and in our talk, and then it might propel us to a better place. Because here's the thing, David's story didn't end in this moment. David's story continued. Worship is our response to God's movement. God moved and 70,000 men died because David sinned against him. And then David moved in response to what God had, did, had done. And he put himself in that position of falling down before the Lord. If you look in verse 17, the Bible records, David said to God, Was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I, the shepherd, have sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Lord my God, let your hand fall on me and my family, but do not let this plague remain on your people. Let me tell you what the presence of God does for David and what the presence of God must do for us. The presence of God must always humble us. David is humbled in this moment. David, the king of Israel, the king who when he went up on the threshing floor, the, the, the person that owned that floor bowed down before the king and offered the king to take anything that he wanted for himself. This king of Israel, the most important man in history in this moment, falls down before the Almighty God. And what does he say? He does not say, I am your king. He goes back to what he knows. He goes back to the innocence of what he did as a child. He goes back to the basic, the basic occupation that had been in his family for generations. He says in verse 17, he says, I, the shepherd, have sinned. And then he draws the analogy of all the people in his kingdom that he's leading. And he says, these are but sheep. What have they done? And then he asks God to allow the punishment to fall on him and his family, but not to allow the plague remain on the people. The presence of God has an amazing way of humbling us. David the king releases his title and goes back to his ordinary role as a shepherd, as Israel are, the people of Israel are the sheep. David acknowledges his sin and his culpability for his actions while proclaiming the innocence of the people that he leads. While worship is always our response to God's movement, the presence of God, when we experience the true presence of a holy God, we will be humbled. Then I want you to notice what else God, what, what else David does in this moment. 
David not only has a worship experience in which he falls down before the Lord, he not only humbles himself to the point that he empties himself of his own title, but then he's faced with a choice that many of us are faced with, and it's this. If you look in verse 24, and right before it, the verses proceeding to verse 24, I'll begin in verse, uh, verse 18. It says, Then the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. And so David went up in obedience to the word that Gad had spoken in the name of the Lord. And while Arana was threshing wheat, he turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were there hid themselves. And then David approached, and when Arana looked and saw him, he left the threshing floor and bowed down before David with his face to the ground. Why? Because Arana was in the presence of the king. And David said to him, let me have the site of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at full price. And then in verse 23, Arana said to David, no, you take it. Let my Lord the king do whatever pleases him. Look, I'll even give oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give all of this. But King, notice he's now a king again, King David replied, No, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. What is the takeaway from that quote? Here's the takeaway. Don't offer to God anything that costs you nothing. If you're going to give something to the Lord, it needs to cost you everything don't you give God your leftovers don't you give him something that you've been given freely you give to God what costs you everything and the only thing that will cost you everything is for you to surrender your life to the king the only thing that matters the only thing that matters is your worship of a most holy God your humility in the presence of an almighty God and your complete and total surrender that will cost you everything. David was not willing to allow this altar that will be built for the Lord, which by the way, this place that David ends up purchasing, it not only becomes an altar to the Lord in that place, it becomes the foundation of the temple that Solomon would build. The temple in all its grandeur, when you reduce the temple to what it is, it is but a threshing floor where David, the king of Israel, recognized that he's not so far removed as a shepherd, that he as a king is actually pastoring sheep, and the sheep are not fought, and his culpability and his responsibility of leading people will require him everything. And when he is offered, listen, when he's offered this land, this plot of land, this threshing floor, he's not only offered it for free, the gentleman also, Arana says, no, I'll give you the threshing floor. I'll, in addition, I will supply the oxen that you'll need for a sacrifice on the altar. I will even give you the wood in this place so that you can Fortify your so altar and burn it. I will even give the grain. I will give you all of this for nothing. And David says, no, I will pay full price. Why? Because I'm not going to offer my God anything that costs me nothing. 
the amazing part of this story, ladies and gentlemen, you see, we have the lens of Jesus. Years later, there would be another king. Years later, there would be another king that did not come on a royal chariot who was born in Bethlehem in a stable. And he would come and he would turn the world upside down by his ministry. He would take the religious people of the day and he would shun them to welcome in the people that the religious people had pushed out. This king of kings, so to speak, that at his name every, every person will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every knee, every knee will be bended toward him. Why? Because he is the king. This king rode in on a donkey in Jerusalem. This king who cared so much for so many, and he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane the night that he was arrested, and he prayed, Lord, if this cup could pass from me, God, let it be, but your will be done. What is Jesus saying? Listen, the king of kings is saying, I'm not going to offer to my father what costs me nothing, but I'm going to offer to my father that which costs me everything. So Jesus, who is king, Jesus, who is fully God, emptied himself of his godliness took on the form of a man and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And he died on the cross for you and for me so that we might have life and have it abundantly. This king of kings emptied himself and he gave it all for you. He gave it all for me. Why? Because he's not willing to offer his father in heaven Something that costs him nothing. What have you been willing to offer to God? Have you offered God your leftovers? Maybe you've not really offered God anything. You thought, well, I'm a good person. I treat people right. Listen. God has created you and me for more than what we can imagine. He has given us relationships and dynamics with people that no one else has. In fact, some, listen, listen, listen to me. You are unique. God has placed you in this time and space and you can impact people that no one else can impact. Don't you dare offer God something that costs you nothing. Because what God demands and what God ultimately wants is he wants all of it. Every licking bit. All of it. And he wants to take all of you and all of us and he wants to give us a hope. A hope that is set higher than we could ask or imagine. We should not offer God anything that costs us nothing. David offered to pay full price. Jesus not only offered to pay full price, both of the kings, the greatest kings of the scriptures, offered everything. Paid the full price. Jesus paid the full price with his life. David refused to take it for free. And I know the temptation. Because I'm a shopper. And as a shopper, I'm interested in one word. Clearance. That clearance word is a spiritual gift to my ears. When I hear the clearance word, and I'll probably see many of you, listen. When it comes to Thanksgiving night, 
You can call my cell phone. I'll, I'll be answering it all night long because I will be out shopping beginning at midnight. Beginning at midnight, I will be out shopping all day on that Friday until that store closes. And there's one thing I'm looking for, clearance. I'm willing to take from others what costs me nothing. But the same type of monetary stipulation can never apply, can never apply to our relationship with God. God, listen, God doesn't produce anything that ever goes on clearance. Everything that God makes is valuable. And if you're in this room and you've bought into the lie that Satan, see Satan shows up in this story too, if you bought into this lie that you're nothing, if you bought in this lie that you can't make it, if you bought into this lie that you're not worthy, if you bought into this lie that you're defined by your brokenness, let me tell you something. God, listen, God never ever in God's store, in God's storeroom, He will never ever place you on a back shelf with a red tag. He will never put you on clearance. He will always put you in the center of the window so that everybody that comes by can enjoy the beauty that he's made. Do not ever buy into the fact that you're nothing. Because when you and I surrender it all to God, we become more valuable than anything. It doesn't make sense in our economy. How do you surrender everything? You lose all your faculties. You lose all your marbles. You lose all your money. How can you be rich in the kingdom? I'm just going to tell you that with God, Jesus, he surrendered it all. And when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, listen, death will have no victory over you or me or for anyone who gives it all. I will not offer anything that costs me nothing, but I will offer my everything because he has given everything for me. Never offer God anything that costs you nothing. And then I think the beauty of this story in closing is simply this. This place of worship, this place of humility, this place in which the king of Israel took off his crown and recognized that he was but a shepherd, this place in which God is wanting to move and where God is meeting people, this worship place that would eventually become the great temple built by Solomon, I think it's so appropriate that it's a threshing floor. You see, when we meet God, when we first meet God, we meet God in the raw. We don't look the part, we don't act the part, we're not living the part because we've been living for what we've wanted, we've been living life the way we've desired it, and suddenly we intersect God, some of us intersect Him, some of us have a head-on collision. But we have a moment with God where we recognize that what we've been doing, the way we've been treading, the pathway that we've been going is not going to lead to goodness. It's not going to lead to righteousness. It's going to lead to eternal death. And we have this raw reality sensation. That's exactly what happens in worship. It's exactly what happens in this threshing floor. Because in the threshing floor, that's where the raw wheat is brought into the storehouse. 
And that's where the worker begins to work with it and produce something that's far more valuable than the weeds that are out in the fields. So when God meets us, he separates and peels us apart and he separates that which is good from the waste that so often is around us. He peels us back. He peels back the waste that we so often are so defined by. And he pushes it as far as the east is to the west. And what is left on the threshing floor is whole grain. What is left on the threshing floor is whole grain because when he throws you up to his father, the waste floods away. Just like wheat in the air, the chaff blows away. What's left is the essential, vital part and purpose that he is ultimately designed for you and for me. The threshing floor is a place that wheat is separated from the shaft. The flesh threshing floor, it is the place that you and I, in a costly way, are separated from that which so often has rendered us worthless. It is the place where grain becomes grain, and it is the place where we become His. I want you to think about the beauty of this story. It begins so tragically, 70,000 men fall dead because the king of Israel did not trust God. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. There is always a consequence to not trusting God. You think, that seems so drastic. That seems so wrong. And I'll remind you of this. Who are we to question the righteousness and justice of God? We're very good at paying attention about what people should do and how people should act and how people should respond. We're very good at putting God in a box and saying, God, you need to do this because you did this. We're very, 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 very good. We all have PhDs in our ability to determine what is right for other people. But we absolutely are pathetically, pathetically, can't even want to use the word, I can't say that word in church, that we are pathetically, pathetically at a loss at our ability to not only accept grace, but to extend grace. You say, well, I don't see how God extended grace. Well, then you're not reading the scripture, because if you look in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, it says in verse 14 and following, the Lord sent a plague, 70,000 men fell dead. God sent an angel to destroy Israel. But as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it and relented concerning the disaster. What happens in the story? What happens in the story is this. God sees the heart of his servant and he decides to have mercy. Why? Because he's God. God can do what God wants to do. And God is merciful and he is gracious. And the beauty of the story is that David is not killed, that his family is not killed, that his kingdom does not fall, and that he's able to go on for another day. Why? Because God had a greater purpose for David in that moment, and the greater purpose is for David to recognize that though he might be king with an earthly crown, that he is serving the king of the universe, and he better recognize that in the face of God, he is but a shepherd, and the people are 
but sheep because God wanted to take the threshing floor and make it his holy place so that people could be threshed, that they could live vital lives in goodness and wholeness and they could be what God had always designed them to be. Listen to me. You are more than what people think about you. You are more than the sum total of your parts. You are valuable not because you've got a degree. You are valuable not because you are successful in business. You are valuable not because you can speak two languages. You are valuable not because you are married to your spouse. You are valuable not because you have children. You are valuable not because you're a grandparent. You are valuable not because you have a great 401k or a 403b. You are great, listen to me, you are great because God designed you and me for greatness. It has nothing to do with who we are. It has everything to do with who he is and who he's called us to be. So today we faced, we're faced with a decision. How are we going to respond to God's movement in our lives? How are we going to respond to God's intersection, to our head-on collision with him? We can try to run. I think they tried that in Genesis when Adam and Eve had eaten the forbidden fruit and they tried to run and hide and they heard God walking in the garden. Hiding never works. You need another example? Go and read about Jonah. Jonah also ran from God. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. When you run from God, you will end back up at square one. You will always meet God face to face. You will always meet God in the way he wants to meet you, regardless of what journey you've taken. It's so much simpler when you and I encounter an almighty God to fall down before him and say, you know what? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. But God, I love you and I praise you. And God, I want you to take my life. I want you to take what little I have. I want you to take all of me. And I'm going to give you all of me because I'm not going to dare offer you something that costs me nothing. Why? Because I recognize that what you did on the cross, what you did in sending your son, cost you everything. How many of you would be willing to give up your child for the salvation of others? That's what God did. How many of you are willing to give up your comfortability to be uncomfortable for the sake of others? That's what God did. People tell me all the time, you know, I feel like God should be blessing me because I, I, give, I give my tithe, I give my offering, I give 10%. Wonderful. I'm so happy for you. Because the reality is when you and I are giving to God a tenth, we're just meeting the mark. We're not exceeding what he's called us to do. So why should you and I be congratulated for doing what we should have done already? No, God wants you to give all the more. And listen, he is not as interested in your pocketbook as he's interested in your life. You cannot buy your ticket to heaven. God's salvation is not for sale. I don't care how much money you have. I will not give God anything that costs me Nothing, but I will give my God everything. And so that's the invitation today. Simply this. If you've been in your walk, if you've been in your life journey, and you've reached a point where you've seen calamity on all sides, you don't see a way out, you're at the end of your rope, 
Maybe you're here this morning and say, I, you know, I don't really feel like I'm at the end of my rope, but I'm just in one of those blocks. I'm just in one of those episodes of life that's just blah. I'm just blah. I'm not in a good mood. I don't feel good. I don't really like people. I don't even like my wife. Heck, I don't even like myself when I look in the mirror. If you're in one of those situations, you need to have a come to Jesus moment. Because God did not create trash. Everything that God, listen, everything that God created from the very beginning, it is good. What makes things bad? How we use them. That's what makes things bad. How we corrupt them. But you're a good person because God made you. But God's not finished with you. And he wants to do so much more. Maybe you've been successful in business. Maybe you've been successful in life. Maybe it seems like your trajectory is up and up and up and up and up. Maybe you've not experienced a valley. The storm is coming. The valley is right over the top of the mountain. How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond to him by falling down before the Lord and saying, I can't, but God, I know that you can. How are you going to respond? Maybe you're here today and you say, I've never trusted in Christ. I've never understood what it means to give my life to him. This is what it means. It means literally what I just said. You give your life to the king. Listen, quit living like you're not royalty. God does listen. God doesn't want a son and daughter, a stepchild. God has no stepchildren. God only has royalty in his family. And so when you and I come to Christ, we become a child of the king. If you're a girl, you become a princess. If you're a boy, you become a prince. If you don't know, it doesn't matter because you still get to wear a crown. It makes no difference what you are. You're a child of the king. Quit living and dabbling in the ditch when you have been placed at a place of prominence and hope and light. The difference between the king who leads and the king who dies, the difference between the leader who leads and the leader who surrenders his leadership is the ability to be led by the king. You are not the leader of your soul. You're not the leader of your life. You're not the leader of your ship. You're not the leader of your family. Christ is. Christ is the one who's holding you in the balance all along. For some of us, we need to recognize that today. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I, I think I want to be more connected to First Baptist. As John said earlier, you know, Certain things just move your heart and your mind and your passion about certain things. Latch on to what your passion is and begin serving through and in that passion. And you will discover a universe of possibilities. Don't hold back. Lean in to the passion that God has given you. And when you lean in, God will take you on a ride that you can't even imagine. But the first step is simply this, you trust in Christ, you surrender your all, you give him your life, you won't offer to him anything that won't cost you something, everything. How is God dealing with you? How is the Holy Spirit moving in this place and in this time? And are you and I going to be faithful to answering the voice that's speaking, that nagging voice that's saying, you need to do X, whatever X is. Let's pray together as we pray.
Let's ask that the Holy Spirit move mightily in that time of invitation. And that we recognize that this invitation is our time to collide with God. For some of us, we've already experienced the collision. We just are in a state of trauma. And we need to be rushed to the great physician who can give us the help we need. Father, we come to you today in this time, in this time of invitation. And God, we ask that you would be with us, Lord, as we look at your word and we see the mistakes of your king. A man after God's own heart. We see the tragedy of 70,000 people dying. But then we see, God, that you are merciful in the midst of this calamity and crisis. And that as a result of what you do, David is brought to the basic reality of who he was as a shepherd, as he leads sheep. And God, in that moment, he recognizes that if he's going to be honest with the God of the universe, that it's going to require him to surrender everything, and he's not going to be willing to offer anything that costs him nothing, but he's going to offer only that which costs him all. Lord, for some of us, we need that message today. We need to be able to offer all that we are, every nook and cranny of our lives. And so, Lord, we ask that you would find us faithful in this invitation, that we would respond in spirit and in truth with the needs that we have. Lord, for some of us, we have been so defined by our own self-talk or for others' talk of us. May we be defined by the King. We are a child of the King. We are a son and daughter of the King as we seek you. For your glory. If there's others here today, Lord, that want to have a place of service and would like to call First Baptist home, we also want to give them that opportunity to know you and to make you known among the people. God, that you would guide us as we sing, as we worship, as we encounter your presence, and as we encounter your movement in our lives. May you find us faithful as your steadfast love and grace go before us and call us to a greater awareness of who we are whose we are, and where we're called to be. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you need to make a decision, whatever that decision might be, you take a point, an opportunity, requires you as we stand to come down an aisle. You don't have to know what to say. It doesn't really matter what you say. God's more interested in your heart than your words. God's more interested in the reality of who you are rather than what you are worried about or you're perceiving other people to think about you. Because I can assure you a hundred years from now, it's not going to matter about what the person on the left, the right, the front, or behind thinks about you. It doesn't matter whether they think you wore the right dress or the right suit or the right type of clothes today. It doesn't matter if they like the plugs in your ears or anything else. All that will fade. But what will matter is, did you have an encounter with God and did, was your life transformed in that moment and are you serving the King? That's all that's going to matter. All that's going to matter. So don't worry about Susie, Johnny, Penny, Benny, or anybody else in the room. This is your moment. An encounter with Jesus Christ, the lover of your soul. Who looks upon you in favor and says, I know that you can't. But with me, you can do it all. With me, you can do that very thing that you have not been able to accomplish or succeed at. With me, you can do it all. And God's saying to you today, I've given you everything. All I want, all I want 
is your little 70 or so years on this earth. And what I'm going to give you is an eternity long. Forever. But the decision comes to these vital moments. How are we going to respond? Are we going to respond? Are we going to answer the king who's calling, who's calling, who's saying, come. Come just the way you are, just like you are. Just come.